welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. And uh, I'm kind of curious as to what other people want to talk about. What what do they consider important? What do they consider valuable? Uh, uh, do they have questions about the Kingdom of God? Uh, I've been we've done a lot of work on the preparing you site lately. There's been a lot of repairs to pages and. Uh, organizing of information. We actually have some people starting to translate work into Spanish, and uh, we'll see how uh, persistent they are in that pursuit. And uh, uh, we've been reaching out to more people on uh, social media networks, uh, trying to get the information out to others, and we've also talked about having this show more uh, interactive with a call-in, and some of our other shows the same. Uh, we're we're reaching out to try to get more and more people to see what the gospel of the kingdom really was all about. And you know, I'm I'm kind of astounded all the time that people don't quite see what the gospel of the kingdom is all about. <laughs> But then I again I also understand because there's been so much uh, uh, effort into getting people to believe that religion is about what you think about God that uh, that uh, you know that uh, the kingdom of God was postponed because the Jews didn't accept Jesus. Of course, you know just that example alone is just unbelievably ignorant that anybody could say that because right away there were shepherds who realized that a king was born there were wise men who realized that there was a king was born there were prophets who realized that there was a king was born thousands of people hailed him as the highest son of david which means they think he is the king they called him the messiah which means the the anointed the king. We see the word as Christ most of the time in the New Testament, but everywhere you see the word Christ, it's the same as saying the word Messiah, because they both mean anointed. And Jesus was the anointed king. He's actually doing what only the king could do, which is firing the money changers. I've explained this uh, many times. We have articles on this that uh, there. The, the string whip he made. He didn't make a cat of nine tails. It says he took string and he made a whip. And you can you can see Tutankhamun buried with a whip. Uh, was Tutankhamun going around giving people forty lashes, beating people? He was a kid. Uh, no, that's a symbol of his position and his role as king. He's supposed to fire the corrupt officials of government. Government is supposed to provide services, protection, uh, not necessarily welfare, but uh, they could supply welfare. But how do they collect the money for that welfare? This, this is what the kingdom of God is all about, and how it distinguishes itself from the kingdoms of the world is the way in which it provides services. The kingdom of God was a system of government where the leaders were titular. They did not exercise authority one over the other. 
they were uh, leaders in charity, uh, helping the people to live by faith instead of by force. All the other governments, the governments of the Gentiles, the governments of the world, they use force to compel the people and uh, force their offerings. And for that reason, they're anti-Christ. They're anti-God. They have a right to exist, but that's between them and God. He will determine what is their faith. We, uh, their fate. We don't have to do that. This is this is one of the things Saul. Why did Saul lose his kingdom? He was told right there by Samuel. It's right there in the text. Our theologians, our preachers, they don't tell you why Saul's kingdom was going to fail. His his right to be king over Israel was not going to last. He was going to end badly because he forced an offering. Until that, all the offerings, all the sacrifices of the people to support the government were free will offerings. That was up to the people. The government, the power of governing was in the hands of the people. They chose to fund or not fund the government. And they made that choice by a votive offering. They decided, I'm going to support this minister. I know this minister. He's a good guy. He's an upstanding guy. He's a man of service. He's a man of justice. He's a man of mercy. I'm going to support this guy because through my support and the support of all the other people that say that they are a part of this nation, we will have a free government that will guarantee the rights of free people because free people care enough to give to a network of ministers who provide justice and mercy. When they decided to have a leader like all the other nations, that was the big thing in Samuel 8, they they wanted to have a king, a leader, a governor, like all the other nations. And they got the voice of the people chose Saul. And the equivalent of a Supreme Court, which was Samuel, swore him in. And we know in Deuteronomy seventeen sixteen, although most of your preachers are not going to tell you this, most of them don't even know, they don't learn it in the seminary. If the people decided to have a leader who could be a ruler, then they were to write down certain things that he could not could not do. He couldn't have a standing army. He couldn't have a national bank. He, he couldn't uh, uh, accumulate and make treaties with other nations. And uh, he could do nothing to return you to the bondage of Egypt. What was the bondage of Egypt? 20% of everything you earned had to go to the government. Whether it was a good government or a bad government, you still had to give 20% of everything you earned to the government. That was That's bondage. You have to work 20% of your work day for the government. That's bondage. You're not free if that is the case. 
Israel, they didn't have that. They had 20% tax, but you got to decide when to give it, who to give it to, and how to give it. You tithe to the ministers of your choice according to their service. Now, there was a tithing, and it was tithing because there were ten families gathered together. That would be one-tenth. You would give a share of what you earned, and it might come out to exactly 10% to your minister. But there were other tithes. You know, there was peace offerings and and other forms of giving and supporting the government. At the festivals, you were to give, you know, you were to bring gifts to give to the, the Levites at the festival. And if you couldn't go, you would give them to your minister and you would send your minister to bring these gifts to the festival. And this was to support the government of Israel which was a government of men who did not exercise authority one over the other. Now, one of the things, we, we've been on a number of groups that are anarchist groups. They don't like rulers. They don't want rulers. Anarchists are against having rulers. Now, by definition, anarchist is someone who has no archists, no rulers. That's the Greek word for a ruler. Now, there are people who call themselves anarchists, but they want to tear down the government. Well, if you want to tear down the government, you want to be an anarchist. You want to rule over other people's right to have a government. So you're not real. Any anarchist who wants to tear down a government isn't an anarchist. He's an anarchist. He wants to tear down the government. He's absolutely... Jesus didn't come to tear down the government... He did come to take the government away from the Pharisees and appoint it to men who would bear fruit. He wasn't doing away with the government. He was doing away with a particular practice in the government that was already forbidden, which was to exercise authority one over the other. And when he took the kingdom away, he did it by the words of their own mouth. They said they had no king but Caesar. They rejected the Messiah. The Pharisees did. Some of the Sadducees did. But we know thousands and thousands of the Jewish people, the the Judeans, the people who lived in Judah, accepted Christ. They got his baptism. When they got his baptism, they were kicked out of the social welfare system, run through the temple at that time. We know the apostles worked daily in the temple after Pentecost. If they're working daily in the temple, and the temple is a government building, they're accepted. They're the kingdom of God on earth. We know that they fled Jerusalem when Rome came to destroy it because of the activities of zealots and Pharisees, who said they had no king but Caesar and disobeyed Caesar as well. And Caesar came to destroy them. And we know people were allowed to leave unharmed, and they did by the thousands. And they came out singing because they had a network to go to. People were talking on some of these groups about the Mark of the Beast, and we shared with them our detailed study of the Mark of the Beast. People want to say that the Mark of the Beast is a biochip and and all this stuff. Well, there are two beasts that are talked about in the Bible, the beast and the image of the beast. And what is the beast? The beast is, you know, an animal that goes around devouring 
who it will. It's an animal nature. It's governments. Almost always in prophecy, governments are represented by beasts. Uh, you know, they, they, they identify a particular government by some sort of animal. Usually, you know, bear or eagle or something that eats and takes bites out of people. Well, that spirit of the beast is created by all you people out there who want to take a bite out of your neighbor to provide social welfare for yourself. You say it's for other people, but it's really for yourself. You want your security socially assured by a government that exercises authority by taking from your neighbors, 10%, 20%, 30% from your neighbors so that you can have what you want. You're a beast. You want to take a bite out of your neighbor. And the spirit that you have is transmitted to the government you create. See, your government is a beast. Rome's government was a beast. It became that. Originally, it was a republic. Originally, all their social welfare was taken care of by charity, often through the temples, but because charity was so pervasive amongst Romans, they helped one another out. This is what made them strong as a nation. When they were attacked, they came to, you know, they they, uh, held the social virtues high up and their character as a people but when they moved to a socialist society then they expected government to do these things provide these services of society we do the same we've moved from a republic to a democracy to literally today ruled by executive order and congress is as corrupt as the senate of rome what was the senate of rome they were called conscripted fathers Conscripti patri. And Jesus said, call no man on earth father. Conscripted or otherwise. But only my father in heaven. Well, how does his father in heaven's government work? We told you. The perfect law of liberty and charity and caring about one another and not forsaking the gathering together. You don't deserve to be free until you have a daily ministration of pure religion. Today, your religion, if we understood the definition of religion, we know that religion was how you took care of the needy of your society. We know it from James. We know it from history. We know it from definitions just 200 years ago in in legal dictionaries in the United States. Religion was the performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. But now you think your religion is what you think about God. Before, religion was what you did. Demetrescia, the Greek word. It has to do with what you do. People have actually, uh, there's actually a group of people who call themselves Threskians now. You know what they do when they get together? They dance. They sing around campfires. They think that religion is what you do. But what do they do? They don't take care of one another. They dance and sing. They're no different than all the others. They just use the Greek word, threskia, instead of the Latin word, religiere. <laughs> they are not seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
because they are not performing their duty to God and their fellow man, and they're certainly not doing it by faith, hope, and charity. They're doing it by the governments that force the contributions of the people. The contributions of the people are their sacrifice. It goes into a treasury. And we have the word Corbin. And the Corbin that we see in the Bible is said to make the word of God to none effect. But the word Corbin is simply the Hebrew word for sacrifice. The sacrifice of the Pharisees makes the word of God to none effect because the sacrifice of the Pharisees was forced by the government. It became a tax. Because you registered when you signed up with Herod's system of social welfare. You actually were baptized. If you were Romans or others, you might go to the Temple of Roma, which he also built. But if you were Jews, you could go to the Temple in Jerusalem and register. And once you registered, you had to pay in. You know, Cummins it was, is a little spice that you can grow in your windowsill. You can grow it in little pots. And some people grew lots and lots of it because it was a popular spice. And so if there was like a hundred branches on the plate uh, on the plant, and you had signed up for the social welfare of the temple, priests of the temple would come out and count the branches on your plant. If you had lavender, they'd count the branches on the plant, and they would cut. They would know, well, there's 100 branches. I, we get 10 or 20 or whatever the tax rate was at that time. And they knew that person had to turn in that many branches when they were ready to clip. So the people clipped 100 branches, they would get their share. They paced off fields because they wanted to make sure they got their share first. And you had to pay it because you had signed up. You were part of the system. No one left behind. And that's how they ran their government. With the, what they collected, because all these things had value. And they would come in, and so you owed this tax. And you could pay it in branches, or you could pay it in dollars. You know, a denarii in those days. And this is very lucrative, because the Levites, always, always could eat of the altar. That's what they had as an inheritance. They could not accumulate wealth. Christ, Moses, God were capitalists. They believed in your right to dominion. Each individual had a dominion over what he had and he could create. If you owned a piece of land in, by, on record, it was usually because you proved up that land. You took care of it. You planted trees on it, olive orchards, vineyards, what have you. And you took care of that land. You dressed it and you kept it. And it was right that you received the fruits of your labor upon the land. And that's capitalism. The the means of production is you. And that's what capitalism means, is that the means of production belong to you. 
And if you plant the tree and nurture the tree and raise the tree up, then that tree belongs to you. And the fruit of that tree belongs to you. And no one has a right to rule over you concerning what you produce. It's you are the ruler of it. Now, you could give the right to rule over you to somebody else in order in exchange for protection or what have you. But if you were really faithful people of God, you would be protecting each other because you would be attending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. That list is Christ's list of what is the weightier matters. You would be attending to that. No one would attack your neighbor without you coming to his assistance. Everybody talks about right of self-defense. Do we have a right of self-defense? Jesus is telling his people, if you don't have a sword, he says everybody. If you don't have a sword, he doesn't want everybody to go out and get one sword or two swords. He wants everybody to go out and get their own sword. He says, if you don't have one, go get one. Even if you have to sell your coat. Why? Is he talking about self-defense? Well, maybe. But he's really talking about the defense of your neighbor, for the protection of your neighbor. You are not to have a standing army, according to Deuteronomy 17:16. if you had a king. You were the army. You had to come to the defense of your neighbor. If somebody was robbing him, you had to come to his defense. If someone was trying to kill him, you have to come to his defense. Because, why? Because you're seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And it's righteous that you protect your neighbor. So it's not self-defense. It's defense of righteousness. It's defense of what is right. That's what you have a right and responsibility to do. That's the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus was preaching. That's what Jesus was talking about. So all the tribes, there are 12 tribes in Israel. 11 of them are what they call ANCAPs. ANCAPs an abbreviation of anarcho-capitalist. It's somebody who believes in an anarchy, no ruler. Each man must rule himself. He has to care about his neighbor too, but he's in charge of himself. He decides, he taxes himself. There are no rulers over him, but God rules him in his heart. Maybe, if God doesn't rule him in his heart, we will see a selfish guy who doesn't doesn't share with others. But what was the twelfth tribe, the Levites? Were they NCAPs? Well, actually, they were what they call NCOMs. And we'll, we'll explain that when we come back, the keys of the kingdom, but 11 tribes were ANCAPs, anarcho-capitalists. Welcome back. We're going to explain this ANCAP, ANCOM thing. 
and uh, uh, maybe share these ideas eventually with others that have a real difficult time understanding that the kingdom of God is at hand because there's almost no religion that preaches that the kingdom of God is an actual government of the people, for the people, and by the people to take care of the needs of the people through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty so that the people may remain free under God. And we have, you know, dozens of misused Bible verses that were were taught since little kids that uh, lend us the idea that we're supposed to be subject to men and that Jesus' kingdom was postponed. It wasn't postponed. I mean, these are the men who say there is another king who do contrary to the decrees of Caesar. What do you do with that? Why were Christians being persecuted? Because they were running the government for Christians. But they did it not by exercising authority, but by exercising love for one another. And they throw out Romans 13, let every man remain subject to the higher power. But the word power there is the word liberty. Higher liberty, original liberty. The... Those inalienable rights that are granted to you by God remain subject to that liberty. Many of you don't. Many of you haven't. Now, that is something a lot of people don't want to admit. But this talk about anarcho-capitalism and anarcho-community and comms is what Israel was. It was a combination of the two. And it was a combination of two so that they could create a government without rulers, without men who could exercise authority one over the other. That was supported by people who taxed themselves. We're not taxed by rulers. You're so far from that, you can't even imagine what that looks like. Now, you take Romans 13. Well, let's let's go back. Let's read it in context. Let's go to Romans 12. I beseech you, brethren. I, I, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. What's the Hebrew word for sacrifice? Corban. Holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. What is your reasonable service? That daily sacrifice. You have to determine what that reasonable service is. It's between you and God. There are no rulers. Church isn't going to make you do it. We didn't have any guards that are going to kick in your door if you didn't give enough to the church. Remember, Jesus said he's going to take the kingdom away from the Pharisees. He's going to appoint it to another group, his little flock. And then we see him saying to his apostles, very clearly, unquestionable translation, I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father has appointed unto me. The church is the government of God on earth. It's not the Pharisees. It's not the Jews. And by the way, all those men were Jews. (laughs) They were the Jews who accepted Jesus. The Jews who didn't accept Jesus 
they became the lost sheep. And they're still a lost sheep until they accept Jesus. They're not, they're not Israel. Israel is where God prevails. Where God prevails, Christ is accepted. The apostles and those thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who accepted Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, as the anointed king of Judea, was Israel. And in the days and years and centuries that followed, all over Europe and North Africa, people accepted Christ and his way, the way, of righteousness and were a part of the kingdom of God. And a thousand years after the fall of Jerusalem, where the Christians came out and moved out in the world in a network of people, a thousand years later, times periods of time like 1066, 1090, kings rose up again. Adversaries to the freedom of God rose up. The Bullion, Stephen, William the Conqueror, Martin, rose up, crowned by an institution calling itself the church, and went about killing millions upon millions of real Christians, blotting out the truth. Even into the 1400s, 1500s, they were burning printers at the stake because they were making the Bible available. Translators were burned at the stake, tongues cut out by this church, so that you would not be able to read the book that was written for the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. That's right. The Bible was the book written for the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. That's in the introduction to the Wycliffe Bible. Now, they they burned him at the stake, too, but he was already dead when they dug his body up and burned it at the stake. Tyndale, they burned at the stake after he translated the Bible. But eventually, they realized they could not stop men from translating the Bible. So they perverted its meaning. They had already been doing that for years and years, perverting the meaning of words like religion perverting the, the meaning of words like world, like power. There's all kinds of words in the Bible that are translated power. Exousia means liberty, the right to choose. I mean, I'm not making that up. That's in the definition, right? They, they even tell you that the definition, because they can't get away from them. It is a Greek word. Exousia means the right to choose. The liberty to choose. You're to remain subject to the liberty of choose. The original liberty to choose. They hire the original liberty to choose. But you don't. You make covenants. You make contracts. You sign on for benefits of institutions created by constitutions. And those benefits are provided at the expense of your neighbor by men who call themselves benefactors, but exercise authority one over the other. And Christ said it wasn't to be that way with you. 
It is that way with you, and you tell me that you're a follower of Christ. No, you're not a follower of Christ. Therefore, you are not a Christian. You haven't repented of what the Pharisees were supposed to repent of. They were taking things by force. John the Baptist said, don't take things by force. Provide benefits through charity if you have extra share. But you don't do that. You don't have enough. So you take from your neighbor through men who call themselves benefactors, but force your neighbor to sacrifice. That is the Corbin that makes the word of God to none effect. So when you tell me that you are saved because you believe in Jesus, but you're not pursuing the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you're not pursuing, pursuing a system of government that is based on righteousness, based on charity, based on love for one another, you're not pursuing that. You're pursuing the benefits of men who exercise authority. You're not a Christian. You're part of the beast. Now, it's not about earning salvation. It's about direction. Where are you going? Are you gathering together with other people to become the social welfare of a nation of Christians in the world, but not of the world? In uh, Up here in verse 2 of Romans 12. And be not conformed to this world. Now, that's a, that's a different word than the world that his kingdom is not of. That word is aeon, which means age. Conform to this age, he's saying. At what was going on at that time? In the world, meaning constitutional order or system of government. Well, in that time, they were exercising authority one over the other. They had a Corbin like Herod throughout the Roman Empire that forced the contributions of the people to provide free bread for the people, welfare for the people. He's saying, be not conformed to that way of this age, but be conformed by the renewing of your mind, thinking a different way, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What is the will of God? That you force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare? To men who call themselves benefactors? Men who call themselves conscripted patries, conscripted fathers, who say they're their father of their nation, who uh, under judges who decide good and evil. Oh, transgender is good now. Homosexuality is good now. You know, you can't say certain words now. Look at all the shifting of morality done by the Supreme Court, which is the God's many that you have chosen for yourself. And you chose them for yourself when you chose to eat at their table. Verse 3, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body. In Christ we are one body. 
and every one members one of another. But only in Christ, not in some sort of corporate fashion. Now, I'm going to go back. We'll wait here before verse 6, and I'll go back and cap. Anarchist capitalists, not ruling over one another, each man being returned to his possessions and to his family, so that you will become heirs to what your father has produced. There's no inheritance tax in the kingdom of God. When your father dies, you inherit what he produced. You're a part of his family, and his possessions are his, and they will be yours when he dies. And you will be the head of the family. And this goes from generation to generation. This is the way the kingdom of God has always worked. So, those are caps. No ruler over them, but God himself. And he rules them in their hearts and in their minds. And, and we know that by the way in which they conduct themselves, the social virtues of the, those people, the fruit of their faith. We know that they are Christians. Not because they say, Lord, Lord. Not because they sing in church. Not because they say some magic phrase. But because of what they do, we know. And if they do not do righteousness, we know their faith is dead and they're not really Christians. They're not really believers. They say they are, but they're not really seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. They're not providing a daily ministration for the others that are seeking that. They're not even trying to come together with people who actually believe and work and sacrifice. Their bodies are a sacrifice in a corbin of righteousness. We know they're not really Christians. Now, I don't have to judge everybody. I'm just telling you this, that you figure it out. Are you really a Christian? Are you seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Then I don't think you've repented. I don't think you've changed your mind. If you think it's still okay to go to men who exercise authority one over the other, to take a bite out of your neighbor, to provide you with a benefit, if you think that's okay, I think your faith is dead. I think that you are under a strong delusion that somehow or other you're safe. Jesus died that ye might be saved. You say, well, wait a minute, I paid into the system, I have a right to take from it. Sure, you have a right to take from it. But are you pursuing the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Now, actually, do you really have a right to take from it? Because everything you gave is gone. The only way you're going to get anything from the system today is to take from your children and your grandchildren because they're borrowing the money to give you. The money you paid in is gone, gone, nada, zero, zilch. The only way you're going to get a benefit is to take from somebody else. Now, I don't want to see you starve, but you are in a bad way. You need to repent. You need to think a different way. You need to start to come together. Your lifestyle is going to drastically change whether you leave the system or not. And I'm not telling you to stop paying into the system. I'm telling you to pay your tally of bricks, but start becoming the system of God. That means you're going to have to get together with other families and start contributing on a regular basis, not just for those that are in your community, but to to others in the next congregation, in the next congregation, in the next congregation. You say, oh, I don't really have enough to give. Well, go ahead. Don't give. See how that goes over with Christ when you meet him. 
Because you don't want him saying, he get ye from me, ye workers of iniquity. So anyway, ANCAPs, that's everybody. That's the way it's supposed to be. You're not ANCAPs now. There is no capitalism in the United States. hasn't been since 1913. Certainly since 1933. A capitalist is the control of the means of production. If you have to pay 10%, 20%, 30% of what you produce to somebody else and you have no choice in the matter whatsoever, you're not a capitalist. That's not a capitalist system. You're not in control of the means of production. You don't even own your own labor. You don't own your children. You don't own your land. I wrote a whole book explains this. Legal title does not include ownership. So therefore, you have a legal title to your factory. You say, I own the means of production. You have a legal title to the means of production. You don't own it. They can tax it out of your hands overnight. They can come and confiscate it anytime they want. You're under strong delusion, buddy. You're not a capitalist. You haven't been a capitalist for a long time. You don't have dominion. Somebody else has your dominion. And you're a slave in your own nation. I don't care if you're in the United States or Holland or wherever. You're all slaves. I'm not picking on you. I just want you to understand where you're at. You're going to be drowning in a system that... I mean, you guys are all in the pool on the Titanic. And thinking you're having a great time. <laughs> well, when the salt water comes over the edge, you're going to think differently. So what? Ancaps, 11 tribes, Ancaps, capitalists. What was that 12th tribe doing? Jesus, or Moses, called out the people who will serve the Lord. And as a people, the Levites came out. So the Levite tribe became this ministers to a nation. They couldn't own land anymore. I didn't tell you in there. He, they couldn't own land anymore. They they had land, but they owned it in common. There's a reason for that. I won't explain that right now. They owned all things in common. What they owned, they had a house. Might, a Levite might have a house. He might have some you know, donkeys, he might have some sheep, he might have some horses. But he only had a legal title to them. If he died without heir, that land, those sheep, those donkeys, went to the other Levites. If he had heirs, they went. the legal title of them went to his heirs. But they don't know things in common, which... One of the beauties of this, one of the beauties of this clever scheme of God is that you got to kill every single Levite in order to rightfully get his property from him. He can't, he can't borrow money against that property because he doesn't own it. Now, he might borrow money against the use of it, but any Levite could redeem that property back at any time. Wow. That's amazing. And but people knew that. You didn't wanna you didn't want to snooker a Levite out of his land because any Levite could come and redeem that. The capitalists not not necessarily so. They can contract away their rights. But the Levite doesn't have his rights. He's a slave already. 
This is why it sells over and over again. It says over and over again, the Levites are mine. The Levites belong to me. So saith God. But if you're going to belong to somebody, belong to God. That's that's what you want. But the, so these guys are ancoms. They are, you know, people talk about the ancoms, anarcho-socialists, anarcho-communists. They believe that, yeah, you should have the means of production, but only to the point that everybody is taken care of. Some of these people have that idea because of compassion. Some of them have it because they're lazy and they want to make sure that they don't uh, they don't lose what they got. I, I don't know how many times the conversations, I notice more and more conversations on these social media groups, they're going on and on and on and on, and then all of a sudden I say something and it stops. <laughs> it just... It just stops. That's the end of that thread. And I don't know if they're thinking or what. I was on one group that was very antagonistic to anything I said. Because they're really not anarchists or they're they're not really. They're bleeding heart, liberal, uh, deluded people. Uh, but I noticed that when I made a post, there were a lot of people who didn't like it and complained and and got into ad hominems and name calling and and sarcasm, sarcasm, the wit of the witless. Uh, not that sarcasm necessarily is bad. It depends on their intent. But they were being sarcastic in an ad hominem sort of way to put people down. And they would conjure up all kinds of evil things to say about me. But lo and behold, around 5, 6 o'clock in the evening, People were reading what I said, and they were liking it, liking it, liking it, liking it. Over and over again, you see these likes come in on the same group. Now, everybody who was home during the day didn't like it. Almost nobody spoke up. But in the evening, when they came home from work, people liked it, liked it, liked it. And I thought, well, these are the guys on this group that actually got jobs. (laughs) So they have a different perspective. They actually have to work. I found out the leader of the group, a lot of times, because some health reason, he doesn't say what, is in bed. Well, who's making his living? He's probably on the government dole. I don't know. He probably would deny it. But uh, but he calls himself an anarchist. Well, you can't be on the government dole and an anarchist. <laughs> you're You're wanting rulers to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. <laughs> but he's not going to see that. He's just blind to it. But they they're this is the this is the problem. Is that people's eyes are not open. They are the blind leading the blind. They don't see the truth. So now I'm trying to get you to see the truth. So in order to explain Romans thirteen, order in order to explain the kingdom of God you need to understand that there was a division in Israel. There were ministers of the nation who did not exercise authority, who ministered a network of charity by faith, hope, and charity. The the word charity shows up nowhere in the Old Testament, at least in the King James. But free will offering shows up all the time. Tithing according to their service. This This is how they... 
the people tax themselves to take care of the services of government, and the Levites were the services of the government. The one that was highest in the Levites was the one who was the servant of servant of servants of servants. Because ten families got together and picked a servant minister. And ten of those ministers got together and they picked a servant minister. So the higher up you went in this hierarchy, the greater service you saw being performed. Not ruling. They had no exercising authority. They were naked in authority. But in service, Explain the rest of it. Come back. So hang tight. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Well, welcome back to Keys to the Kingdom. We're uh, we're talking about a lot of things here, uh, but we're trying to give you a picture of the kingdom itself. So what did the kingdom look like? It looked like people coming together with no rulers, no one exercising authority one over the other, but providing all the services of government through sacrifice, personal sacrifice. You laid your sacrifice on those, you looked out amongst yourselves and found men you trust and men of service. Yeah, locally, uh, a church board came to me, or at least some of the members of the church board were talking to me about their minister, who evidently they they had a minister at their local you know, 501c3 church. I won't say what denomination it was. But um, he wasn't half bad. He was really a nice guy. He cared about the people. He was always trying to help. He didn't want to be a burden on the people. Had a lot of kingdom tracks. He was deluded about some of the things of the gospel, ignorant of many others. But he wasn't a bad guy. But then he retired, and they got another guy. And he's lazy. He's lawful, egotistical, wanting to be a minister. More and more people are not going to the church, but they got them under contract. They don't know what to do with them. They they don't have their church organized like the first century church. They don't even know what the first century church organized themselves as and what it was doing. They don't even know the definition of religion. They think religion is what they think about God. Now, a lot of the people that go to this church are, are pretty decent people. They're caring people. They're charitable people. Some of them. Some of them are backbiters and and everything else. But uh, there's some decent people there. And even the ones that are backbiters, they they could repent. They could turn around. They could change. But they 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 don't know how the first century church operated. They don't. 
I think if they really took the time to try to find out, they might be surprised how many of them will start figuring it out, what the church is really all about, what the church is really supposed to be doing. If the church took the place of the Levites, I mean, the Pharisees had taken the office of the Levites, the office of Moses. They sat in the seat of Moses, is what Jesus said. And they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. Their Corbin, their sacrifices, making the word of God did not affect. The word Corbin there is also translated treasury in the same Bible. Why? Because your sacrifice went into a treasury. But they didn't want to mound up a huge amount. They wanted to keep it circulating. And that whatever was given was given out and more was given on a regular basis. You cast your bread upon the waters and hoped that it would come back to you when you needed bread. When you needed help. That's faith and hope. You had faith and hope that it would come back to you when you needed help. But the treasury was in the pockets of every man. It wasn't in some golden calf. It wasn't in some giant vault where thieves and robbers could break in. Jesus talks about all these What do you think he's talking about? You put all your money in the treasury of the United States or Denmark or whatever. There's nothing there but dead notes. It's all gone. You thieves and robbers have already come in. You elected half of them, and they stole it. Ma's ate it up. All the people on welfare, billions of dollars on welfare. I just saw a program last night, uh, Stossel. Uh, John Stossel, I guess it is, was interviewing American Indians. And there's there's an American Indian tribe, I think it's down in the Carolinas, and it, it's not given Indian status. And so therefore they, they don't get any of the benefits of that most Indian tribes give are given, but they are a tribe. But they own businesses, fancy houses. They're doing great. There's, there's almost no poverty amongst them. I mean, I mean, they're not just little business owners; they're big business owners. They own banks. Why? No government aid. They said we had to take care of ourselves. We learned how to do it. You go to the Indian reservation; they're the poorest of the poor. Why are Indians idiots? Well, actually, a lot of Indians are idiots because they actually think taking the welfare of the government is a good idea. Those Indians who are Indians and a tribe but not given tribal recognition, they learn an important lesson. You don't work, you don't eat. But America has decimated the Indians. One of the groups that I was recently kicked off of, they just started a conversation about reparation for the blacks. And, and people said, what do you mean? He says, well, we stole all this land from the blacks. We stole all this, uh, not land, but we stole all this income from the blacks, all this wealth that we produced because we enslaved the blacks. Well, Americans only bought people that were already enslaved by somebody else. I'm not excusing it, but for one thing, if you're going to talk about who enslaved them, it was other blacks who enslaved them and Muslims who enslaved them. Yeah, we had people who bought them and brought them to America and put them to work. You know how many Americans own slaves? 1.4% of Americans own slaves. 
1.4% own slaves. So now, most of the blacks in the United States today are probably not descendants of slaves. It might be, but I, I doubt it, because we had such an influx of immigrants. We had a lot of white immigrants, too, since 1860. So most Americans, if if 1.4% owned slaves back then, today... The descendants of slave owners is probably far less than 1%, a fraction of 1%. But these people who call themselves anarchists want to use the government to force all Americans to give money back to the slaves. Well, wait a minute. You should be able to subtract all the money that you paid into welfare. Uh, you know, I mean, you've been paying taxes and providing welfare for blacks for and whites and for a lot of other people for uh, generations now. So all that, that was paid. All the money they spent on the Civil War, that was paid. All the lives that were lost that ended up causing the supposed freedom of blacks in America, black slaves in America. There were many blacks who were free in in America back then, and many of the blacks back then who were free owned slaves. That's right. And many slaves were white (laughs) in the Americas. uh, Irish were enslaved, brutalized, you know, and one of the things they pointed out in the Stossel Report is, well, there's a Bureau of Indian Affairs, but there's no Bureau of Irish Affairs, no Bureau of Jewish Affairs, no Bureau of Chinese Affairs. And all those people are doing great. The same as the people who are not recognized. I can't remember the name of the tribe, but it was, it's just docile report. And uh, so it's probably circulating around. But the Indians who they're interviewing, clearly Indians, they were hardworking, well-off, people and they hadn't been decimated by welfare today the blacks are decimated by welfare and somebody says so then we owe them reparation for welfare no they chose to take that welfare their their culture should have said wait a minute and and actually many in their culture said wait a minute we shouldn't take the greatest destroyers the freedom of the givers of gifts gratuities and benefits I mean, that's not something new. That's a 2,000-year-old quote. Plutarch is even older talking about taking, you know, living at the expense of others. In the Bible, if you don't, you know, the slothful should be under tribute. Uh, If you don't work, you don't eat. Every man eat his own bread, not his neighbor's bread, unless his neighbor chooses to give it. These principles are pervasive throughout history. So it's not like it's some, you know, something I made up. But, you know, like the head of that one group, he doesn't mind eating other people's bread. And he just turns a blind eye to it. It's okay. I can I can eat other people's bread. Now, and now this other person on the group wants to force other people to give money to reparation of the blacks. Why don't she just send money? How do we know she's not a descendant of a slave owner? And, of course, she said, well, we can figure out who was slaves with DNA testing. I suppose, well, I don't know how you can figure that out unless you have DNA samples from before. <laughs> and who's going to do this multi-million, million, million-dollar project of figuring out who is actually descendant of slaves? 
And then how do we know that the, those slaves were mistreated? How do we know that those slaves were not given their freedom, given even assistance? You know, Booker T. Washington talks about all the assistance he received from whites. Well, all that should be subtracted from what we owe uh, you know, black slaves if we owed them anything. But the inter- most interesting thing is, is these people are saying that we owe a debt four generations back to slaves we don't even know who is the descendant of slaves based on 1.4% of the people owning slaves. Everybody owes debt. That's a racist statement. All whites owe some sort of debt to blacks because of the fact that there was slavery at one time. Only small minority of people own slaves. And even if you say, well, they were descendants of families that owned slaves. So now, because my uncle owned a slave, I owe money. Or actually, my uncle didn't own a slave. (laughs) My uncle was helping slaves get free. (laughs) He was kicked out of my uncle and my grandfather. Uh, was kicked out of the Quaker church for uh, being an abolitionist and helping slaves go free. He he helped them in the Underground Railroad. But now I'm supposed to pay some sort of retribution, (laughs) reparation. Ridiculous. Insane. Because these guys are just absolutely insane. They, They don't understand even what they're talking about. But they've got a little group that kind of bolsters each other up and puts down anybody who brings reason to the conversation. And it, it, it pets their ego. And they like it. They're not interested in the truth. But now are you interested in the truth? And the truth is seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness means you should already have a daily ministration. If you're a Christian, you should have a daily ministration taking care of all the social welfare within your church. You don't have that because they have not been preaching the gospel of the kingdom. When you get baptized, you still want to collect benefits from men who exercise authority. You can't do that. Now, the point I was going to make there is these same people, I I point out that they are already in bondage because of what their fathers did. They said, oh, my father can't make a contract for me. But yet they want to hold... Four generations, five generations, the acts of one or, you know, 1.4% of the Americans, five generations ago, they want to hold all Americans responsible for those acts and disregard all the good things that were done by people. You know, the reality is that there wasn't a market for those slaves. Many of them would have been killed because they were already conquered by warring tribes in Africa. The fact that that isn't entirely the case, obviously, but the fact is many of those people were better off and their sons and grandsons and great-grandsons are better off in America than they would be if they were still over there in Africa. That's just a matter of history. But, you know, the what's really killing the African-American in our page on divide is social welfare. The same as what we see in the Stossel Report on the Indians. And the Indians report on the Indians. They're pointing this out. You know, very, very clear, blunt statements made there by both Indians and Stossel and other people interviewed that make it very clear that this welfare destroys 
society. So anyway, if we go back to Romans 12, and we left off at verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth and teaching, or he that exhorteth and exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Now, here we have that word ruleth. Now, I, I don't know what the Greek is in that particular word, and I'll go look it up. Uh, it is a word that often is translated rule, but not always. Uh, it means to set or place before, to set over. And it also is translated maintain. And uh, it's... Uh, so it's not necessarily, it's not the arco word that we see translated ruler in the Greek. Uh, it's uh, proistemi is what the word is. And it actually has to do with stand before. Uh, that's actually what it, you know, the literal translation or establish. So uh, one of the things that some of these anarchists want, they, they want no wages because they don't like employers telling them what to do. Well, you know, the trick there, if you don't like employers telling you what to do, quit. <laughs> I mean, I, I was uh, I, I was uh, in charge of a business for an owner, and uh, I told the employees that, that we were going to do certain things a certain way. Because the owner wanted it. And he said, I'm not going to do it. And I said, oh, really? I was just kind of shocked. Take it back. I was surprised. And I I hadn't prepared myself for that. (laughs) And I said, so, well, go give me a time card. I'll sign you out. And uh, he goes like, oh, oh, well, well, maybe I will do it. I mean, you're going to take the money. And he wants it done this way. He's not going to pay you to do it some other way. He's going to pay you to do it the way that he wants it done. That's not ruling over you. That's an agreement. If you don't like the agreement, go make another agreement. If you, you know, I'm not. That's the way it works in the world. <laughs> you know, he doesn't owe you any money. You haven't done anything for him. Now. You know, I mean, the the I actually know the owner for a long time. He was a very charitable fellow. Had many kingdom tracks. Very business kind of guy. He wasn't telling him to do it a certain way because he wanted to be mean. He was telling him to do it a certain way because he thought it would work better. He was actually an efficiency expert before he bought these businesses that he wanted me to run for him. You know, it's it's very simple, but there are a lot of blind people out there. So now, what we want to do is see you wake up. And he, and he says there in verse nine, "Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another, with brotherly love, 
in honor, preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And how do you do that? By serving one another. In what? Pure religion. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. Continuing instant in prayer. Distributing to the necessity of the saints. Who are the saints? That's the ministers. They're the ones... They were the ones that were holy. What do they mean by holy? Separate. It doesn't mean they're better than you. They're separate. The Levites were separate. The church was separate ministers. They were, and the reason they were separate, because they belonged to God. They belonged to God so that no man could say we own them. Since Egypt, the priests were immune because they were separate. And the Levites were separate. They had no authority, but they were the separate division of the government of man to provide charity through a system of charity to the needy of society, thereby binding society together by a common treasury, a common wealth, a common communion. This is how they remained a nation. Abraham did it with his altars. Moses did it with his altars. And the church did it with their living stones, lively stone altars, which were always people who received the contributions for the purposes of taking care of their neighbor. You get to decide who to give to, when to give, how much to give, and that brings you together as a nation. But the Levites, the ministers of the church, own all things in common and are separate. They work together as a team. You get to decide what team you want to work with, but you have to work together as a team. You have to become this body, literally a body politic, separate from the world, not dependent upon the world. Now, the fact is, today, people are beginning to wake up and realize that we're back in the bondage of Egypt. You owe your tally of bricks. You owe Caesar. These guys, a lot of these guys want to say, oh, we don't owe anything because we made no contract. But the same guys who say that say that somehow or other we owe the descendants of four generations to go for something that a tiny little fraction of people in the world did. And and many of those slave owners were actually very kind to the slaves and helped the slaves and got them started in businesses and everything. The average slave lived and ate with the family he worked for. He was a part of the family. He was a domestic servant. He wasn't abused. He wasn't beaten. He was cared for or she was cared for. Yes, there were abuses. Heck, there's abuses now. But you go on, dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Over and over again, he's telling you how to be, he's talking to the church. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Then he starts, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, and the power that be are ordained of God. 
what he's saying there is the right to choose. Let every soul be subject unto the higher right to choose. For there is no right to choose but of God. And the right to choose that be are themselves ordained of God. We are endowed by our Creator with the right to choose. Now, your parents gave up your right to choose, and your grandparents, and their parents before, and you did it for your children. When you signed them up, and you registered them, and you applied for benefits, free education, free health care, Social Security, all that stuff, the greatest destroyers of liberty, the greatest destroyers of the right to choose are those who spread amongst the people gifts, gratuities, and benefits. And you've already done that. And you've lost your freedom. And you have to pay your tally of bricks. But doesn't mean you can't start pursuing the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Which means gathering together. Coming together. Giving to one another. In an organized fashion. Picking ministers. Now most of your ministers don't qualify as ministers of Christ. Because they own their own property. Well, they have legal title. They're actually... They're not separate from the world. They're very much of the world. But if they come together, and we explain all of this in the Free Church Report, how they can become a part of a religious order, being the qualifications of Christ automatically removes them from the system. The system has already put laws in place that says that they're separate. And if they don't want to be separate, they have to sign certain forms for their entire order. Can't just do it for themselves. They have to do it for the entire order. And all the orders that we have designed uh, are based on the idea that you can't sign those papers. Because as soon as you sign those papers, you go against Christ. When you sign those papers, you are no longer an order of the church established by Christ. You you say, we have no king but Caesar. We have this other king that's going to provide us with benefits. If you follow what Christ said to the letter, you will be separate from the world. But the only reason to do that is to be a service to the other 11 tribes, <laughs> to the other people. To the Why I say 11 tribes is the majority of those who want to eat of the communion of Christ, the Eucharist of Christ. The welfare of Christ. They they only want to eat that welfare. They don't want to eat any other welfare. Now, they may not be able to make that transition in an instant, but they can start moving towards that. Now, there will come an instance where that welfare is, disappears in the twinkling of an eye, and people will starve by the millions, which is why you should repent now and start seeking the kingdom of well, The reason you should repent now and start seeking the kingdom of God, this network of people who are living by faith, hope, and charity is because that's the right thing to do. In the back of your mind, you might as well know that the system is going to collapse because Christ said it. The unrighteous mammon will fail. And if you start seeking the kingdom of God while you're still paying your tally of breaks, while you're still being friends to the unrighteous mammon, you will be suitable for more righteous habitations when they miraculously present themselves in the hour of need. 
we're approaching the kingdom of God, the, uh, the promised land, in time. And you need to get ready. You're not ready now because you're not following the ways of Christ. You're not following how Christ wants us to go, wanted us to go, how God wants us to go. So you're subject. You're back in the bond. You're again entangled in the elements of the world, the constitutional order and system of government. You've made all kinds of contracts. Your parents made contracts. I mean, just look at the example. The, the Israelites were in bondage in Egypt because of what their parents did 400 years before. The kingdom of God is from generation to generation. The kingdom of the world is from generation to generation. And the bondage that you're in is from generation to generation. But if you repent and if you turn around and you start seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness by coming together in faith, open charity, God will hear your prayers. We'll be back. back to Keys of the Kingdom. Are you figuring it out? <laughs> Are you figuring out that the reason you're in bondage is you haven't been taught the real gospel? Uh, that uh, that uh, you need to uh, start doing a little research on your own. We have a huge amount of information linking all these things together. And yes, it's going to be different than what you've already been taught in many cases. But bits and pieces, this is what we see, is that people will start to say, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, well, that makes sense. Makes sense to them. To others, it does not make sense. I mean, some people cannot see the kingdom. They are blind. Because I don't believe you can see this without God's grace. And now, if you want God's grace, if you want to get your vision back, prayer and fasting. Fasting from ego is one of the most important things. You can't, you know, people think, you think you're right. They say that a lot of times. You think you're right. Of course I think I'm right. Now, I used to think like you, and then I realized I was wrong, and I was willing to see that I was wrong. And I began to think different. If you're not willing to see that you could be wrong, you could be deceived. You're not going to figure this out. You're not going to see what we're talking about. You're not going to see what Christ was talking about. It's absolutely, you know, I, I see some of the best paid preachers out there in the country barely mention the words of Christ. You know, they, they don't quote Christ in not a very broad range of Christ. I mean, the number of quotes that I've thrown out that people will say, I didn't even know that was the case. I didn't even know that was 
I never heard that. Did Jesus say that? They don't even know. Yet some of them have studied the Bible. I mean, like my example of what were the weightier matters. Je- Jesus lifted listed off the weightier matters. Uh, and they... Uh, in listing off the these weightier matters, I asked people, what did he list off? A whole room full of people who study the Bible their whole life. They didn't know. Now, you would think, when he's talking about something being weightier, it's like, you got to put that in bold print. That's got to be more important. It's weightier. It's more important. And so a preacher of Christ would should know that first. The things he said so often. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, what's what's love? Is this something you know, just emotion way off in the distance, or is it actually being there for your neighbor, the performance of your duty to your neighbor, caring about your neighbor, caring for your neighbor? Now, hiring some Saul to care for your neighbor is called a rejection of God. The Bible tells us that. That's a rejection of God. And to give him the power to force the offerings of the people is foolish, according to Samuel. That's all in there. I'm not making this stuff up. If you are forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, that is foolishness. So... Anyway, uh, I see that you know we can have call-ins, and we have put out the number on the network. And if you want the number, join the network. I'm not going to give the number right now because we only have a little bit of time left in this show. Uh, and I, I saw emails coming in with some of these questions, and I'm I'm answering that question. Been doing it for the last hour or so. I went and looked and see if any other questions were coming in, and. Uh, and see if, uh, you know, I mean, one of the questions was, who is subject to the king and why? Well, I wrote an entire book called The Covenants of the Gods as to who is subject to the king and why. And king, president, prime minister, doesn't really matter. The, you know, the guys who exercise authority, they, what I like to call the archists, the Greek word for rulers, people who rule over other people. Your employer is not ruling over you. You can quit the job. He's ruling over the contract he made with you. I will pay you this much if you do what I tell you. You evidently want to get paid without doing what he tells you. And you're complaining about it. He's buzzing me around. We had some guy who was going to say, why do I have to work at this blankety-blank job? And he actually worked at McDonald's. When I want to be a videographer. And that, that's one of the guys I wrote. And I said, for one thing, you seem to have a bad attitude about your work. And it's probably coming across in your work, and that's why you're not getting promotions. You 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 need to love everything you do. You need to do it with your whole heart, mind, and soul. But the other thing I said to him is, you know, you can make videos with your phone today. I mean, there are phones coming out that have uh, more pixel ratings in them than uh, than HD cameras. Where's his work? Why didn't he have a YouTube? He's there complaining. Why isn't he making, you know, I mean, it's like that homeschooler kid who was 
I mean, his his blogs are going everywhere. He's got thousands and thousands of views. And he's just a little teenager at home making these blogs, but he got better and better at it. And uh, he's become more and more popular. And uh, so this guy who wants to be a videographer, where's his sample of his work? I know a guy who, when he was in high school, was they were making little home videos. They teamed up with several of the guys and they started making home videos. He's not got. He's on Internet Movie Database. He's got a string of, you know, he hasn't made it to big time stardom yet. <laughs> he has won some awards in his animation work, but uh, he's uh, he went and pursued it, worked at it, still working at it. He's a phenomenal actor, in my opinion. If he gets a break, he may make it big someday. But he's been in shows. He's doing stuff. He's got animations you know that was his forte he wanted to make animations he learned how to do it and he works at it huge blocks of time given up to it so if you want to be something you have to work at it you have to strive at it so if you want freedom that's not going to be free either so who is subject to the king the slothful people don't want to work at it they just want to, just want to be a videographer I just want to be this. I want to be that. I want to be free. No, you have to work at it. You have to earn your freedom. It's not something you get. You have to earn respect. It's not something you just get because, you know, you suck there. you got to go out and do it. The slothful should be under tribute. They shall be under tribute. They're going to be under tribute. Write it down. Stop being slothful. Start working at it. Stop coveting your neighbor's goods. You're made merchandise because of your covetous practices and the covetous practices of your parents and your parents before them. That's what it says. Through covetousness, you should be made merchandise. Desiring the benefits of others through men who exercise authority is covetousness. So those are the ones who are subject. Now, you want... And God tells you that if you go, you know, everybody's going to go out. People say, if you don't vote, you don't have the right to complain. No, if you do vote, you don't have the right to complain. That's the deal. You vote. If you take the benefit, you don't have the right to complain. And God's not going to hear you. That's what he says And back in Samuel 8. He says, he's gonna, you want a ruler who's going to do your job for you. He's going to take your rights from you, and he's going to rule over you, and he's going to take and take and take and take and take and take and take. And you're going to cry out, and I'm not even going to hear you. Now, if you want God to hear you, you start have to start hearing others. You have to start caring about others. And to do that efficiently, it means you have to come together. And that's what Israel did. This is why the plagues came, to teach them during the plagues to come together. Because during the plagues, Pharaoh wasn't paying out the benefits he used to pay out. This may be the last election in the United States. There have been prophetesses who have predicted that this is going to be the last election 20 years ago. And now looking at it, I think they might be right. I don't know. I could believe it. Now, I mean, as close as we are, but they predicted years ago, 2016 would be the last presidential election in the United States. 
we've been told is going to be this economic collapse time and time again. And there has been serious collapses. I mean, it doesn't look good. I mean, I just uh, was talking to a truck driver the day before yesterday, and and I said, how about this election? And he goes, oh, he did, you know, just rolls his eyes. <laughs> he, says, he says, it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be pretty. It doesn't matter who wins. It's not going to be pretty. He, he said that, I think, like four or five times. And I said, well, good thing we're good looking. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I was just talking to him out the window of my my truck, and and uh, and he's he's a working man. I know him, and uh, you know he he goes around makes a lot of local deliveries to the big big huge semi, and uh, and so he's he just gets back to work, and uh, he's he's pretty honest guy. And there's a lot of them out there, but they don't understand the kingdom. They Down in their hearts, you see evidence of it. And and if people start caring about one another, make a habit of caring about one another. Make that choice daily to care about one another, to give with hope of nothing coming back to you unless it comes back in a mysterious spiritual way through God. You know, you're not buying and selling your charity. You're giving things away, giving life to others. Do it wisely. Pick your ministers wisely. But you start giving and blessing others. Okay. That means God's going to hear your prayers. Because you really start caring about others because he says he's going to stop hearing your prayers because you don't care about others you just care about what you want God doesn't hear the prayers of the selfish you have to repent of selfishness and start giving to others in faith hope and charity and it's between you and God but you have to really give and it's not a trade you have to really give from your heart now, the second question the fellow asks is, are ministers of the church subject to the government? Why and why not? Who's the minister of the church? Jesus had qualifications. Uh, the, the ministers of the church that he appointed owned all things in common. That's what they're talking about, the church. Owned all things in common. People gave to them and they owned all things in common. They were working daily in the temple. They were rightly dividing the bread from house to house. What does that mean? They were taking care of the welfare in pure religion. They were not just a minister here, a minister there. They came together in a network of ministry. They had ten ministers in a congregation. Now, they weren't going to get the mark of Nero. You know, the identifiers. You know, we have up on one of the pages showing an identification chip made out of clay. It was not an electronic chip back in those days. To identify a person. Why? Because he was eligible for benefits. He's, the church members weren't going to get this. This is why they were persecuted. 
they didn't they they didn't have to sign up for Obamacare. They had their own care because they were an organized network. Now, what makes you a minister? We recognize that that's Christ that makes you a minister, but the world doesn't recognize Christ. They don't hear from Christ. So you need to, by two or more witnesses, come together in congregations of congregations of congregations of ministers, like the Levites did, to take care of the needy of society through faith, hope, and charity. Now, you can go somewhere else or you can join with us. This is what we're seeking to do. But you have to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in your own heart. We're not a cult. We're not going to bind anybody in this, but we we see and we explain in detail in the Free Church Report how the church worked. Now, what happened, well, there's a lot of things that happened, but thousands of years ago, almost 2,000 years ago, the Church of Constantine started. And Constantine was not a Christian. He didn't even get baptized until he was dead on his bed. He just set himself up as the Pontifex Maximus, the bishop of bishop, he called himself, put himself in a golden throne and said everybody in Milan had to become a Christian. He didn't say repent and get baptized. He just said get baptized. Now, why? Because the social welfare system of, uh, of society was run by the state. It was run by the temples, but it was supported by the state. It wasn't doing too good. Christians were doing great. But the system of the Romans, with their forced offerings, was not doing so good. So Constantine got this idea, well, we'll do it like the Christians. You guys are going to be responsible for your own welfare. I mean, they had had universal health care, all these things, and it wasn't working. And so now they're saying, you're going to be responsible, and but we're going to use the same temples. But we're going to do it more like the Christians. So he was shifting the pagan temples to look more like what the Christians were doing. weren't getting rid of the temples. They weren't getting rid of their hierarchy. They were just going to operate by charity. If you gave, you got. You don't give, you don't get. And uh, so you, you were still signing up, but it wasn't going to be forced offerings. It was going to be charity. Now, in order to get this new church rolling, he gave what would be equivalent to billions of dollars in aid from a government that exercised authority. This was not the church established by Jesus Christ. This was the church established by Constantine. Because right away, the funds that he was using to bolster this new system of religion this new system of social welfare were taken by force. That's why he had it. Everything he had, he had taken by force. It was either taxation or uh, or conquest. I mean, this is a guy who just had his partner murdered. He wasn't satisfied with just murdering his partner. He murdered everybody in his partner's family. Killed everybody in the family. And, of course, confiscated everything that he owned. It was now his. Some of that blood money that he had was what went to finance this new church of Constantine. 
Now, everybody in Milan didn't study Christianity. They didn't understand Christ. They didn't understand the kingdom of God. They just knew that they were going to have to start doing things a little bit more like the Christian. And they were all going to have to get baptized. So thousands of people got baptized that day, but they weren't like the people at Pentecost. And we know that because they went to look for a bishop, somebody to put in charge of not ten families or ten ministers, but hundreds of families. All the families of Milan, they're going to have a top bishop of bishop of bishop of bishop, and the people were electing them like some kind of democracy. That isn't the way it worked, not ever from the beginning. You get to vote for the minister of your family along with nine other families. But that minister's vote for the minister that he chooses is completely separate. You don't have a thousand families electing a single bishop. You have ten families electing a minister and then those ministers electing a minister. Because you don't really get to know who's running for office. I mean, like, you got... Trump running for office. You got Clinton running for office. You got, you know, look in the past, all the guys that you had, Bill Clinton running for office. We really know him. We, I mean, we got all these rumors floating around. And personally, I'm gonna, I believe you're going to probably see him the head of the United Nations and her as the president. I don't know. May not come to be. I'm not prophesying it. I just, I just don't, I don't think we're done with him. That's just the way I feel. I'm not not necessarily a prophet, although sometimes I do. I don't have a vision on this except for the fact that I think he's going to be around some more. He's a very important person in prophecy. <laughs> but uh, he could die tomorrow, too, But because uh, he's, he's already done an awful lot. But the point is, the, these systems of the world, they elect a single guy. From hundreds, maybe thousands of voters. The kingdom of God doesn't do that. You empower only the minister that serves you. He empowers the minister that serves him. Your minister is not in your congregation. Your minister is in a congregation of ministers. There's a reason for this, and you may not see it yet. You ponder it, pray about it, maybe you'll see it. But this is the, you know, they always talk about division of powers. Well, this is the division of power. Another division of power is when you give to your ministry, you give entirely. I talked about that other, that church, that local church, and that, you know, they they hire a minister with a long-term contract that they can't necessarily get out of right away because he's going to relocate and he wants those protections. I'm sorry, that's not living by faith. But... uh you really, the, usually these churches want too much control. They hire and fire ministers, as a, but they also decide how money is to be spent. No, you should give to your minister entirely. You can't run around the table and then decide how the money is going to be spent. You give to the minister entirely. And they say, well, we got to run this like what? Like a corporation or do you want to run it like a church of Christ? The church is the corporation of Christ, and he said how to run it. 
And if you're not going to do it that way, then don't expect not to have problems. You will have problems. So anyway, who is subject? All the slothful, all the covetous are subject. Ministers of the church subject to the government, ministers of his holy church, ordained ministers of his holy church, are not subject to the government because they're not a 501c3 church. They're considered 501c3, but they're not under 501c3. The ministers are not of the world. They're of Christ. They belong to Christ already. They couldn't sell themselves again. They can't sell themselves twice. They've already sold themselves to Christ. They don't have the numbers of the governments of the world. And because of that, they are excluded by the laws of the governments of the world from a lot of things. But they've chosen this path and they walk that path and it's a dangerous path, but it's a path of faith. This is the thing. There are churches out there and we've got articles on IBT and the Indianapolis Baptist Temple where they try to separate themselves from the world. And Greg Dixon, you know, made a lot of mistakes, but he also tried a lot of times to do the right thing. But uh, they could have solved a lot of the problems early on. I, I think there was too much anger in there for the system. The system is not our enemy. The system is there to punish the wicked. And the wicked are the people who started the system, feed the system, who encourage the system, who create the system, and who feed on the system. Now, when I say the, those who feed the system, I'm not saying don't pay your taxes. That Your taxes don't feed the system anyway. The system lives on debt. Your taxes are to keep down the interest rate. <laughs> That's all it does. But... Uh, Anyway, you need to repent. You need to turn around. You need to go to the other. And this is what we're all Till then, have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.